0: Coming up on the Shelley Irwin Show podcast today, February is National Children's Dental Health Month. We talk about keeping your kids' teeth clean. The I Belong Strong 2024 Mental Health Forum happens this Saturday. We get the details about that. Silent Observer Executive Director Jennifer Reynolds joins in to talk about the Speak Up Cash Out program. All It Takes founder Lori Langendorf joins in to talk about a six-part docu-training series about foster care. And Newbery Honor winner-author Vera Hiranandani
1: talks about her new book, A Meal, and the After.
2: Well, did you brush your teeth this morning? Better said, did your kids do their dental care? What are the leading causes of today's cavities in children this National Children's Dental Health Month? We talked to one in the know, Dr. Christy Thomas, Associate Dental Consultant with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Good morning to you, Dr. Thomas. Good morning. Thank you to you, uh, Associate Dental Consultant with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. I guess I have to ask a question. Uh, do you care for your teeth this morning?
3: Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> when I woke up this morning, I brushed and flossed like I do every morning. It, it's just an innate part of me, and I do it again before I go to bed. So um, the common thing will be here is habits and routines.
2: Thank you. Let me start with the statistic and then go from there. You, the expert, close to half of all children age 2 to 11, what, develop at least one cavity in their lifetime?
3: That is absolutely true, um, and there's several reasons that could happen. It could be um, just from um, exposure to bacteria. Um, some people are more prone to cavities, um, and sometimes your, your dental will do a caries risk on you, and that's a cavity risk. And it could be a, ca- a ca- um, category of low, medium, and high. It could be the foods that are introduced to the mouth. And then finally, it could be the habits. You know, how are you removing those sugars and bacteria that either naturally occur in your mouth or are brought in through food and beverage? So unfortunately, that happens for, for so many kids.
2: Are cavities regarded as one of the greatest unmet health needs?
3: I would say yes. Um, it's still the most common chronic childhood uh, disease for, you know, for youth. Um, and as you stated in the statistics, um, there's a high rate of cavities in children. And the wonderful thing is it's preventable with knowing what to do, what habits should form, and how you should establish a relationship with your dentist and hygienist
2: let me also have you expand on this according to the us centers for disease control and prevention uh obviously uh, kids with poor oral health tend to be absent from school more uh, uh, again uh, just another stat that I, I would rather not share but we have to
3: yes and and what happens is if you if you think about it if there is if pain um a child won't come to school if they'll be in pain they'll need to either stay home um or they'll need to be able to go to the dentist. So they're missing school. So they're missing those key elements that are taught in school, that instruction time. And so in results, it can happen for them to um, comprehend material less than someone who's been there every day. And their performance will show um, for not being exposed to that key instructional time. And I I really resonate with that because both of my parents are educators and Mm -hmm. You know stress the importance of you know curriculum and being able to present that information um to kids real time. Yes.
2: Leading causes of cavities in kids, what we're discussing, discussing. it's National Children's Dental Health Month. So we turn to Dr. Christy Thomas, Associate Dental Consultant with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. I wanna take just a half a step back before obviously we talk uh, about prevention. What would be say five risk factors again for cavities in children? You mentioned the high diet and sugary starchy acidic foods.
3: Right, um, the next thing we talked about is the high levels of bacteria. Um, There are about over 500 different types of bacteria that are in the mouth and some defend the teeth and promote, you know, the good digestion. Um, Then there are also those that, you know, can be more damaging. So bacteria are another um, form for risk factors and, you know, just not appropriate hygiene at home, you know, brushing to remove the plaque and bacteria Um, if it's not done on a regular basis it allows that environment to become acidic and the acid or acidity in the mouth can start the destruction of teeth. Um, water, and there's a lot of controversy mm. over water and fluoride, but fluoride is important, um, especially when kids' teeth are forming. It, if you think about brick and, and mortar, um, you need to have the brick and the mortar to make a wall and the fluoride access, the mortar, to be able to help the building blocks of teeth. So it's very important that children uh, ingest fluoride to help with the formation of teeth. Um, And then also fluoride is important for cavity prevention. Um, That's why they send toothpaste in moderation. Um, And then also to prevent um, sensitivity um, and regenerate um, strong um, teeth as well. Um, And then medications, people don't realize the effect of medication on teeth, and, and I can speak personally, my daughter is asthmatic, and um, she had to take inhalers, and those can cause dry mouths, and just the medication, um, you know, can can cause cavities. And a lot of times with kids, to get them to be able to take medication, they add sugar into the medication, if not removed, removed, again, that's a, another form of, of sugar sweetened, um, substances that can stick on teeth and to promote cavity formation.
2: Yes, high levels of bacteria. Of course, inadequate oral hygiene. We discussed the water supply, of course, the fluoride strong in in West Michigan, and the medications as well. What do you do when a kid develops cavities, doctor?
3: Number one, don't panic. It's not the end of the world. (laughs) It's not the end of the world um, if your child gets a cavity. It's if you ignore it and don't have it treated. That's when it it starts to grow and can lead to pain infection. And then it can lead to the adult teeth coming in the wrong place. Um, Our baby teeth or the primary teeth um, are used, you know, for eating and for speech, but they're also placeholders for our permanent teeth. It allows the permanent teeth to come in the right space. And when you remove them or they're broken down and they shift, um, then it takes away from the adult teeth coming in. So if you suspect your child has a cavity or your child is telling you that they have pain, go see your dentist, Um, have that exam, know what's going on. Don't think, okay, it's not hurting them, I'm not gonna do anything because eventually those teeth, when they start coming in, closer to age one, they won't be replaced for another five or six years. And so over time, it can become painful. And the worst thing to do is to have a child being in pain and there's nothing you can do for them at that moment. Um, So if you address the cavity, your dentist will tell you the necessary treatment, follow the recommendation um, and head off the cavity before it becomes big, before it starts to provide or promote pain in your child Um, and then after that regular visits because Mm. you know restorations are just like tires and brakes (laughs) Um, they'll need to be replaced and probably during that time just from normal wear and tear the filling may um, start to become faulty or leak and it may need to be replaced so it's about addressing the problem and then following up to make sure that it stays stable Um, And then, you know, it's promoting, you know, habits for your child, you know, a cavity happens, yes, you know, things happen, but what do we do when things that we don't expect or want to happen, we address them, and we keep going. So I think there's a lot of not only clinical, but a social part of it as well, being responsible and following up um, with your care.
2: All right. Learn from the best we do, not only habits for your kids, but uh, continued habits as an adult. Dr. Christy Thomas, how do we find out more information about this conversation?
3: Well, you can go to michiganbluesperspectives.com, and we will give you some healthy tips and information about taking care of your teeth. And again, it's mibluesperspectives.com.
2: All right, I'm going to avoid those sugary, starchy, acidic foods starting today. Thanks to your recommendation for uh, all, Dr. Christy Thomas. Thank you. Thank you. A free event you don't want to miss. Grahai and NAACPGR stand with black veterans at the IBA Lings Belong Strong 2024 Mental Health Forum to talk about it. Reverend Charles Hudson III to do. Hello to you, Reverend
1: Hudson. Hello, good morning. Can you hear me? I can
2: hear you. Yes, get as close to your microphone as possible with uh, these uh, wonderful ways to hear uh, Reverend Hudson. Did you say your prayer for us this morning?
1: I sure did. I sure did. My prayer is that everyone uh, waits with a new determination and a new uh, commitment to passion and purpose for whatever endeavor it is that you're involved with. That is my prayer today for everyone. So good morning.
2: You. Thank you for that. It's a good month as well, Black History Month, shining a light on contributions and struggles of the black community as, as your two organizations and more come together. First of all, let's take apart uh, uh, both of the organizations. High, tell me about the good work being done.
1: Uh, the Grand Rapids African American Health is an agency that was established to address the health disparities in the African-American community. It is headed by uh, Vanessa Green, who is the CEO, and they have done wonderful work in all areas in the African-American community, in the area of uh, child care, in the areas of uh, adult African-Americans who don't receive proper care, women men over 50, uh, and I specifically am one of the program coordinators for the African-American Veteran Outreach Program. Myself, along with Dr. Patrick Coleman, who uh, is a uh, professional in that area, in the area of human resource management and in training and development. We both uh, paired with uh, Vanessa, we were asked to come in. Uh, approximately uh, less than uh, about a year ago, last June, we uh, were asked to put together a outreach, a three-year program that would address the health disparities for African-Americans.
2: Thank you for that. African-American
1: veterans, yes.
2: Yes. And then, of course, you are partnering with uh, NAACPGR, standing up with black veterans here.
1: Yes, of course. As you know, the NAACP has been a stalwart in the African-American community for over 150 years. Uh, It is headed by Clee Jackson and their coordinator over there, Eddie Laird, who is a Vietnam vet. Uh, They uh, are also working in the area of outreach with African-American veterans. They're trying to focus on the homeless veteran population that has gone uh, underserved. And uh, we are working with them with this particular project. But we anticipate on working with the NAACP and other agencies as this project or this, or as this initiative continues.
2: What's happening Saturday, Reverend Hudson?
1: This Saturday, we are putting together a uh, African-American veteran health mental health forum. This Saturday at the Center for Transformation at 1530 Madison, we are going to have a panelist panel of four professionals and four veterans who will be discussing and dialoguing on the issues that are confronting the African-American veteran, and specifically as it relates to mental health. On that panel, we have... Uh, We have uh, Michael Mickelson, who is the director at the Veterans Counseling Center here in Grand Rapids. We have Shannon Benson, who is a behavioral health specialist at Pine Rest Christian uh, Services. Uh, We have uh, Tiana Payne, who is a mental health and homelessness professional located in the Battle Creek VA facility. And we also have... uh, Mr. Jose Ferrier, who works with the King County Veterans Association.
2: Yes. This uh, event uh, is free. Where is it held?
1: It is a free event. Uh, Breakfast will be provided. It starts at 830, and it will be held at the Transformation Center, located at 1530 Madison Street, Southeast. Uh, and uh, it will run from approximately 8.30 to 11 o'clock. And our panelists will uh, open up with discussion, and then we'll have testimonies from our veterans and a period of time where there could be questions and uh, a question-answer period for the audience to engage. We have invited uh, several community leaders, uh, county commissioners, city commissioners. We've invited some of the legislators from legislators from the state of Michigan and we hope that having the stakeholders there will help us to create an information rich environment as they go into their respective areas to create policy and it is a it is a, a issue of policies and systems and so this is where we want to have the most impact the more information that they have as they create legislation for veterans, and particularly uh, for African-American veterans, the better they can be, the more effective they can be in their areas of endeavor.
2: Yes. Who do you need in your audience, Reverend Hudson?
1: We need, uh, well, we have right now, we have a capacity for 75. We're up to approximately 50-some people. And so if you'd like to walk in, if you're a community uh, service provider, If you're just a concerned citizen, if you have family members who are veterans, please feel free to just drop in and enjoy a delicious breakfast provided by Candy Yam. Jessica Tyson will be providing the breakfast for us, and it is free. We've asked you to register. There is a website. Uh, If I can take a quick look here, uh, you can... I actually, you can just contact me at at Hudson I I I dot Charles at Yahoo com. I will provide you with the information that is needed.
2: Right. May your email overflow. Of course, Grahai.org, graahi.org, graah For That's a great organization, along with the NAACPGR.com reference. Reverend Charles Hus- Hudson III, keep us in your prayers, and good luck on, Sunday, on Saturday.
1: Thank you so very much, and you guys have a wonderful day. Stay warm and read a good book today.
2: Got it. Thank you. It's a trusted space, meeting the moment. It's a docu-training series that equips educators and empowers students amidst, well, educational challenges. We have them all. We talked to you, Lori Woodley-Langendorf, All It Takes founder, to discuss the series and, of course, uh, what it's fostering. Lori, good morning to you.
4: Good morning, Shelley. Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you for the work you have done, uh, are doing, and of course will do, 25 years as a school counselor, where you focused on experiential learning, parenting support, of course, peer programs, emotional intelligence, uh, much needed uh, even more in this time. So we talk about, uh, well, what our students need these days. And I guess, Laurie, let's start with, first of all, uh, what you found, what is all it takes all it takes, we're an organization
4: that equips youth and those who serve them with the skills they need to successfully navigate life and support their communities. Um, more than, you know, in my lifetime, the pandemic showed us, find a great great big light on the fact that a lot of us don't have the resiliency and navigating skills, um, the tools in our toolkit to do a really good job when things go or get really hard, right? When crisis hits, do we fall apart or can we, you know, move through it and rebound? And uh, we're finding that post-pandemic, we're struggling with that. And the education system is the place that I, you know, that's that's my wheelhouse. And um, our teachers and our students are struggling.
2: Thank you for that. Then we move on to all it takes, creating a trusted space, meeting the moment docu-training series. What is it? The docu-training series
4: is a series of short films and sh- even shorter clips of students, educators, and experts talking about what is happening right now in the field of education. From the, you know, not from the expert research, this is what kids need, but from the, hey, I'm, I'm a student, and I need this from teachers, and I'm a teacher, and I need this from students, and I need this from my admin, and the docu training series offers, sheds a light on what they're dealing with, what they're coping with or trying to cope with, and then also offering practical, tangible, you know, do it tomorrow right away tools in order to build that connection because education right now is in crisis and I think it's a crisis of connection and connection will be a, a really big leap towards solving the problems that
2: we're dealing with. Yes, explain the role of trust, as mentioned in the opening uh, title, in combating, well, say stress, and and why is it a key focus of this initiative?
4: All the research and common sense points to trust being an antidote to stress and emotional stressors. And when we don't trust an environment, an atmosphere we're in, we don't trust the adult that we're with, we don't trust the kids that we're with to not throw things across the classroom or an adult not to shame us when we don't understand a concept um, or an adult not to reach out and say, hey, looks like not such a great day for you. Is there anything I can do? And most of the time when people ask us that question, you know, we're like, no, we're okay, but it's nice to be seen. And so trust is a place where, or trust, when we're experiencing trust, we know it's okay to not be okay. We know it's okay to fall down and that we get to try again. And right now, our educators don't feel trust with their administration way too often. Our teachers don't trust our students to behave or to not, you know, do disciplinary things that make teaching impossible. And our students don't trust that our teachers have our back um, or their back. And so, you know, in order to fix the crisis, we have to start with fixing the communication or the, the connection issue.
2: A Trusted Space, Meeting the Moment. It's a docu-training series that does equip educators and powers and students amidst educational challenges. All It Takes founder, Lori Woodley, Langendorf with us. Lori, um, Tell me uh, how one uh, finds the series to begin with.
4: Shelley, everyone can find this series and all the tools for free at atrustedspace.org. It's super simple, atrustedspace.org. Good.
2: I want to, uh, just a couple minutes left, Uh, there are tools and strategies that are also included in the series. Uh, Tell me more here.
4: So the tools and strategies are practical, usable right now. So a a strategy for a teacher is, you know, how do we talk to a student to bring them towards us instead of push them away? How do we, you know, walk into a classroom and instantly bridge the generation gap? And one of those tools that is, you know, in the series and in the write-ups and the handout or the, the resource tools is asking students immediately, like, hey, how's your day? That just seems like so common sense to me, but it's actually often not being done in classrooms. And, you know, for a teacher to walk in a classroom and say, hey, I'm really having not such a great morning and my patience is really short. Could I ask you to give me a little bit more grace with your patience of me? And have any of you ever had a hard morning? So the tools are practical. Like I could listen to this and try it the next day or, you know, that afternoon with my students and really see the results of when a student or a teacher feels seen and heard, they will change their behavior. And in that, learning can
2: happen. Thank you for that reminder. One more time, uh, the opportunity to uh, find out more information.
4: Where do we head? Uh, yep. At uh, org.
2: And of course, all it takes you finding focuses on youth leadership under your expertise and direction. Thank you for this uh, conversation, and uh, uh, I'm sure the lives of, of educators and teens touched by you. Thank you. Thank you. Executive Director Silent Observer Jennifer Reynolds in the house. Jennifer, good morning to you.
0: Morning, Chili. Thank you for having me. What's your tip for driving this morning? Uh, Be careful, go slow, and keep your eyes on the road.
2: There we go. Yes, today is not the day to text and drive. That's for sure. Thanks for making it safe and making it in because you do have an important initiative to talk about. All right, one has never heard of Silent Observer. What are you all about? Silence Observer is
0: an organization that receives anonymous tips from the public for crime or worrisome situations, and we pass those tips along to law enforcement agencies. We keep the tipster, as we call them, anonymous, and we do numerous activities in the community to uh, get our word out there. And so we're happy to be in West Michigan for 50 years um, making a difference.
2: Do most communities have uh, like a silent observer
0: in their own backyard? You know, we believe we're one of the first. uh, The person who has a claim to fame, I think, is in Arizona. But around the rest of the country, they are called Crime Stoppers organizations. So if you've heard of a Crime Stoppers organization, that is essentially what we are. But because we were one of the first, we named ourselves Silent Observer. And we offer to those anonymous tipsters uh, rewards if their tips lead to credible arrests or major Milestones in investigations for law enforcement.
2: Have there been crimes solved because of a TIP?
0: Absolutely. We had some major crimes solved um, this year, uh, including uh, a couple of homicides and a bank robbery. And we have this program that we are talking about today, hopefully, which is Speak Up, Cash Out, where we compel kids in schools, students to submit tips for things going on in their school. And we've had some crimes
2: solved in schools through that Speak Up, Cash Out program. Obviously uh, important and timely. Let's get into Silent Observer's school campus program, Speak Up, Cash Out. How does it work?
0: It works by a student submitting a tip, and they can do it through their mobile phone. They can call, or they can do it online. And the app can be downloaded. The app is Silent Observer. And kids can just punch in their the situation that they're encountering. Recently, we had a student who asked another student for a lollipop, and the other student opened his backpack, and in the backpack was a knife. So that tip, the student left the classroom, put a tip through his mobile phone into Silent Observer, comes immediately to us. And then I see it, called the school, and the school got in touch with the school resource officer. In the next hour, they went to the suspected student's locker, and they did find a knife. Um, And it was not a kitchen knife, so it was a a knife that is a weapon type of knife, a six-inch blade, a fixed blade. So it's an easy thing for the students to do. Um, we did some focus groups and the students said that they really wanted privacy and anonymity in giving these tips. So that mobile app really helps give them the chance to give the tip in private if they wish. And so their classmates or schoolmates don't have to know that it was them who submitted a tip.
2: Obviously, you're working with the schools on this because I'm sure schools have their own ways of uh, if you see something, say something. So you're part of their programming.
0: Yes, and we, you know, there are a number of initiatives in the past, um, you know, 10 years or so to help mitigate school violence, to help kids with social emotional learning and issues in school. And we brought a school program into schools in the late 90s, and it was called Fast 50, and that's an extension of Silent Observer and Crime Stoppers that's used across the U.S. What we found was that the $50 reward for Fast 50 was not compelling enough, and we thought we need to raise the rates because of inflation, because times have changed, and because we're trying to get in top of mind to those students' heads. So we raised our rewards from $100 to $1,000 for tips that are credible. We get the tip in, we contact the principal or whoever the main contact is, typically by phone because often it's an emergent situation. And if the school has a school resource officer, they will get them in action and address the problem right away, and then they get back to us. Um, We also sometimes get tips that aren't emergent and are not an issue of health or safety to the students and are instead important, but not, uh, immediate. And so those will often be emailed to the school, but the school administration is always involved and that gives them the, the freedom to be able to manage the situation according to the protocol in their specific schools. Yes.
2: Obviously, uh, you want to, uh, save lives and prevent, uh, uh, well, disasters for lack of, uh, tragedies, better terms. So, uh, This offers the students the chance to speak up about potential incidences you mentioned involving weapons, Uh, theft.
0: Yes. Theft, um, bullying is another.
2: How how does bullying work? I mean, because I don't want to belittle it at all, Uh, but uh, when does it become an opportunity to reach out to you?
0: That's a great question Shelley. Bullying is a challenge. It's a challenge for schools. It's a challenge for those in the mental health community when it comes to students because every child's perception of bullying is different. But what we have found, what research has shown, is that bullying can be kind of an entry to larger issues and kids that may um, take steps to become more aggressive in school. So it's an important thing to keep our eye on. Recently we got a tip from From a teacher, a woman who was a substitute teacher, who saw that one specific student in her class was being bullied by other students who, through their mobile cell phones, were um, giving this one student a hard time. So that's a perfect example. That's pretty optimum because an adult was involved to be able to see that the, the gravity of the situation was such that someone should know. So she sent in a tip to us typically what helps is that the school is able to review those tips and say, you know, does this reach the caliber of something about which we need to intervene? Um, So bullying is out there. It's a tough one, but we're certainly trying to, there is much better education now about how to be kind and thoughtful and aware of your classmates and how important that is in the classroom.
2: And speak up, cash out. You are reporting tips By the mobile app, as you mentioned, one can log on to the website or even make a phone call?
0: Yes. Um, The mobile app is Silent Observer, and it can be found on um, Android or uh, Apple. You can go online to silentobserver.org, and you can call in 616-774-2345. Your tips.
2: Said that without a piece of paper in front of you. You know your work. Jennifer Reynolds, Executive Director, Silent Observer. Obviously, uh, dollars are um, important uh, as a reward, for lack of better terms. You are a nonprofit organization. How are you sustainable here?
0: We are funded through donations, through philanthropy, through the kindness of our community and community members who see the importance of our organization. Crime Stoppers organizations across the country are funded in different ways. Many are underwritten or Paid for partially out of state funds or police department funds where they sit. Ours, our Silent Observer in West Michigan, is unique in that we are funded through philanthropy. And like so many other nonprofit organizations in West Michigan, we have a very generous community to help underwrite us. However, um, as any organization who relies on fundraising and who relies on donations, we always need contributions throughout the year to help keep us going we don't get any of those state funds and we don't have underwriting although we have some uh, support through different civic organizations within the city and the, within the city and the county yes
2: and is another goal of yours just to get the word out that SANA observer uh, yes you've been around 50 years but uh, there are new incentives and uh, new again especially in these times new ways to, to work and communicate.
0: Absolutely. We, I was looking at statistics from the, um, there's a site that keeps uh, sh- violence and school shooting statistics, and they listed 326 uh, school shooting incidences last year. So certainly with regard to our students, we need to be vigilant, and we want to teach the students that it isn't snitching, it's really protecting themselves. They live without their prefrontal cortex being as advanced as ours as adults, and so we want to keep top of mind that Speak Up Cash Out is here, and that there's a reward associated so that that stays fresh in their mind that they have a place to go anonymously to speak about issues that could potentially cause them harm, cause their classmates harm, or about issues that they know have happened and are afraid to tell someone.
2: Details one more time specifically about Silent Observer's school campus program, Speak Up, Cash Out, please, Jennifer.
0: Speak Up, Cash Out is the name of the program. Rewards range from $100 to $1,000. Students can, or anyone, can download the app at Silent, the app is named Silent Observer, or you can go online to Silent Observer. Dot org to put in a tip you remain anonymous and you remain anonymous throughout the process even through the part where you can pick up your reward
2: thanks it's out there hopefully we don't have to use it but it's out there Jennifer Reynolds thanks for your leadership and the tulips that you, brought. Did you bring me tulips
0: <laughs> thank you Shelly we're thankful for the work that you do and the opportunity to get our word out there
5: Vera Hiranandani.
2: Three, two, one. Vera Hiranandani on the line. She's the author of the Newbery Honor Winning the Night Diary and, of course, the author of our conversation for today, A Meal and the After. Let's bring on you, Vera. Your work described as a quietly, brilliant, deeply insightful story of living in uncertain times, also compassionate and thoughtful. So, Vera, good morning to you. Good
5: morning. Thank you for that introduction. Glad well, to be here.
2: Good to start strong uh, and good to be factual with your praises. So so there you are, of course, uh, doing good work with your awards and uh, knowing what uh, is important when it comes to writing as a former editor with Simon & Schuster and, of course, uh, uh, your MFA and more. So credibility is key. And now, uh, what, is this a bit... Uh, with what you did with The Night Diary now in A Meal in the After?
5: Yes. So I think of it as a companion novel. Not so much. It is a sequel in the sense that it follows the story from where The Night Diary left off. And um, the the base of the story is basically about the partition of India. And The Night Diary started with a young girl named Nisha who writes her diary about her experience having to leave her home and cross over the border into the new border of India. And a lot of what she experiences with her twin brother, Emil, um, she records in the diary. And a lot of it's based on some of my father's family's experiences when they had to leave their home. And so now I, I picked it up a few months later in Emil in the after, but I changed the point of view and so now we're seeing the story through Emile's eyes in third person. So it gives a very different feeling, but it's all the same characters and the same story.
2: Very nice. Give us a bit of your storyline in general.
5: Um, yeah, sure. So it starts off a few months after they, they had the family had gone to Jodhpur, India, but then they have to move and they go to Bombay, which is now called Mumbai, Um, because their father got a new job, and he's a doctor, and so he's trying to just find the best position he can at a hospital so they, you know, can have an apartment, and he wants to provide a good life for them. So they go to Bombay. They do find an apartment. He has this new job, um, and Emil knows how lucky he is, but at the same time, he's displaced. He has a lot of hard memories of their walk across the border, um, which was very difficult for them because they, you know, had to walk across a desert area. They encountered some violence, which was very common for people who were uprooted during the partition. So now it's January 1948, and he's in this place where he knows that he's And he has his sister and he has his father and they live with his father's mother, their grandmother, their daddy. And he understands that he's one of the lucky people to be here and be okay. But at the same time, he still has all of these hard memories. He wants to express some of it. He also knows a lot of people did suffer or didn't survive the journey. And he's trying to process that as a 12 year old kid, you know, what does it mean when I'm lucky, but other people are not and I'm aware of that? What is my responsibility? So, you know, these are heavy thoughts for a 12 year old. So he's processing that in kind of a childlike way. He wants to find a friend. He wants to feel more comfortable and he wants to feel more settled and at peace. And so he um, talks to his sister, Nisha, about these feelings. Um, and he wants to express himself in some way, but he doesn't like writing mm, he doesn 't yeah. want to write a diary so um so he starts to draw in a way that allows him to get out his feelings and focus himself and she suggests that he keeps a drawing journal for their mother who's no longer living
2: okay
5: so that 's how
2: it kind of begins. Yes. You did note that uh, your father, grandparents, aunts, and uncles made a similar journey uh, as a Meals family forced to leave their homeland and make a new life in India. Did you speak with your family regarding this?
5: Yes, um, I'm lucky enough to have my father very much in my life, and so I was able to talk to him, really starting with when I wrote The Night Diary, talk to him in a more detailed adult way of everything that he remembered during his Journey, And he was nine um, and he left with my grandparents and um, he had several brothers and sisters, so he wasn't a twin. That's a little different in the night diary, but he um, really remembers. You know, just sort of hearing that they had to leave in the next day, you know, they stayed a few months after the partition. So the partition happened at the same time of India's independence. Um, in 1947 between August 14th and August 15th. And he had stayed, his family stayed a few months after because like a lot of families in the area that he was in, which is Sindh, um, he grew up in a, a town called Mirprakas, um, which is now in Pakistan. A lot of families thought that the, the violence and the unrest would die down after a while, but it was only increasing. And so he just was told to pack a few bags and they got on a train and they were able to have a family member help them with an apartment in Jodhpur. And so they were one of the lucky ones in the sense that they, yes, they had to leave their home and their community very quickly and be completely uprooted, but they survived and they had a place to live. And then eventually they went to um, Bombay. And so that's where I'm most familiar with in India because I've seen the apartment that my father grew up there, and then eventually he came to the U.S. Um, So I was able to talk to him and other family members and other family friends about their experiences, but it's not always an easy thing to talk about, especially when people experience more trauma during that time. I do have some relatives that did experience some violence and trauma, and they didn't want to talk about it, so I, I did more research to Kind of find out those experiences, but I wasn't always able to talk directly to somebody about something that yeah. was,
2: you know, very very difficult. Lastly, uh, is one of your uh, story themes about hope? Yes,
5: um, that is kind of the running thread throughout, and it's it's what Emil's name means. There are multiple meanings, but it's it's one of the the meanings that his name has and he finds that out it's a little bit of a spoiler but he finds that out later in the book Um, but he and nisha are kind of going to school and just trying to live as regular a life that they can um but they have you know traumatic memories in their head they feel lonely they feel sort of separate from their community they haven't um completely gotten used to school and and made friends and so they they could kind of descend into, you know, a feeling of sort of sadness and emptiness, but they're kids and they have this spirit and they have this playful spirit. And they also both like to make art. Nisha loves to write, Emile loves to draw, and they kind of collaborate and make a world that feels hopeful and kind of the world that they wish they were in or the future world that they hope to be. Mm -hmm. And it's really a message of, of never losing that, no matter what we're going through to try to hold on. Even if even if you are dealing with some really difficult things, you can't wipe them away, but at the same time you can hold on to that hope. And that's what they try to do.
2: Great. Emil and the after. Vera, how do we find out more information about your work? You can find me
5: on my website at ww.com or on Instagram at VeraWrites or on X, formerly Twitter at Vera Hira.
2: Keep up your good work. We'll continue to uh, discuss and appreciate uh, the latest when it comes to your award-winning work, A Meal in the After. Take care.
5: Thank you so much.
2: Your inspiration for the day we always like to end with. According to Plato, wise men speak because they have something to say, fools because they have something to say. I'm going to say that again. Wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools, because they have to say something. Thanks to you, Plato. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great day. I'm Shelley Irwin.